Father, as we come before you today, we come not on our own merit, not because of who we are, not because of anything we've done, not because of anything we've accomplished, and not because you're dependent upon us, but we come, Lord, by grace, through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, in his name, in his strength, in his power, in his righteousness, because of his sacrifice, we come before you, Lord, and we come confidently, we come boldly, but not arrogantly. We come in humility before you, and we ask, Lord, for your will to be done in our lives, and we ask that you might enable us to be strengthened by you for whatever it is you would have us to go through. We all go through things we don't want to go through, but we go through them by your plan. We go through them with your presence, with your strength. We never walk alone, and we thank you for that, Lord. And we thank you, Father, that things just don't randomly happen to the children of God. We thank you that there's always a plan, there's always a purpose. And we thank you that we always have power, and for sure we can always have peace. And that's what we pray for today. We've got people that are going through various things, things that are upsetting and things that are concerning, things that cause anxiety, and my prayer would be for them for peace. And pray that even right now you're guarding their hearts and their minds with the peace that passes understanding, please. And we pray that you would build up their faith, that they would know whatever they go through, they go through by your plan, for your glory, and with your presence. You never leave them, you never forsake them. And we pray, Lord, also that you would show your power in all of this by delivering people. There are some people here today that need to be delivered from sin. And we pray, Father, that the stranglehold that sin has on them would be broken. Whether it's pornography or alcoholism or drug abuse or uh, maybe it's anger, maybe it's depression, whatever it may be. We pray that you would deliver them from that. And our prayer would be for anybody here who is not trusted Christ as Savior and Lord, today would be the day of their salvation, that they would repent of their sins and put their faith firmly and totally in the Lord Jesus Christ. We also pray, Lord, you would minister to people. A lot of people are hurting right now. A lot of people are going through rough times right now. They're, they're grieving and those who are sorrowful. And we pray you would lift them up. And we pray, Father, that during this Christmas season, when even churches that may not even believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, they may read scriptures about that. And we pray that you would do a work in the hearts of people who hear it, even in cults, even in apostate and liberal churches. And we pray that you would draw people out and bring them to be born again. And do that in our own fellowship as well. If we have any lost church members here, we pray that they would come to truly know Christ as Savior and Lord. And we pray that this service would glorify you, would honor you, and pray that you would bless us and bless churches all around the world that are gathering today for the glory of your name. So thank you, Lord, for this time together. Thank you for the ministry that has taken place right now during this time that we don't even understand, we don't even know. And we thank you for people whose lives have been touched through our prayers. And thank you for the privilege of praying to you. And we pray this now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Well, this morning, if you would uh, look with me another time in uh, the fourth chapter of the book of John, and uh, we have been in this for a while, thinking about Jesus going to a well in a place where a Jew normally would not go, and we think about him talking as a man to uh, a woman that he normally would not be involved with or talk to. It was kind of seen as a shameful thing. And yet he crosses that. And I thought about how Christmas, what it's really about is Jesus crossing the great divide. We did not go to him. He came to us. And we did not think up any of this. This was in the plan, in the mind, and in the heart of God from eternity past and all carried out by the Son of God. And that's not just true in the broad sense. That's true in the individual sense. 
that you, God came to you, the Spirit of God came to you, the Word of God came to you, and God did a great work in bringing you to salvation by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We didn't stumble upon it, but we were sought. The shepherd sought out his sheep. And uh, all of those stories and the imagery in the New Testament is of God finding us, not us finding God or discovering God or imagining God or whatever uh, somebody might say. The God of the ages, the God who is the creator of us all and the creator and sustainer of the universe set his heart upon saving sinners like you and he's the one that made all of that possible. And so when we find Jesus as he is going from Judea up north to Galilee, the fact that he did not go around Samaria is not just an insignificant thing. That was a part of the plan of God. The steps of the righteous are ordered of God. And of course we know the Lord Jesus would have been the only one truly righteous. His steps were ordered of God. And it's no coincidence that he comes to the well of Jacob near the city of Sychar in Samaria at the time that he does. He is hot. He is tired. He is wearied, reminding us of his humanity. He was like us in his flesh, the God-man veiled in human flesh, as the Christmas song says. And he sat down by the well, and his disciples went to go grab something to eat in town and bring it back to him. And while he's there, by chance, quote-unquote, a woman happens to come to get water. Now, this woman wasn't just any woman. And uh, this woman was coming there by herself. Very unusual for women to come by themselves to get the water. It was generally a social event. They would come together for obvious reasons. And they would get their water and then they would take it back to their village, back to their homes. But this woman is coming by herself. Normally they would come early in the morning or late in the evening when things had cooled down. This woman is coming in the heat of the day at noon. And the reason is we find out she is a woman who struggles with sin. She struggles with the relationships. She struggles with immorality. She, uh, when Jesus said, go tell your husband, she said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yeah, you're telling the truth. You've had five husbands and the one you are living with now is not your husband. And this just blew her away. How would this Jewish man sitting at a well at this particular time and place know anything about that? And through all of this and through this interchange, Jesus shows us how he bridges the divide. Now, when we're witnessing, we don't always do that. Sometimes we stop short. Sometimes we kind of stop on the bank. And sometimes we never really get across to what really matters. And we want to uh, talk about that for a little bit this morning. And so uh, these Samaritans, if we think about... What was the big deal between them and the Jews? Sometime you can read about it in 2 Kings chapter 17. Now the kingdom of Israel that David ruled over and that Solomon ruled over, uh, when Solomon's son took the throne, the kingdom split. And you remember there were 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them, that's sizable. They formed a kingdom they called Israel in the north, and then two, Judah and Benjamin, Benjamin was so insignificant it didn't really even get mentioned much, formed the kingdom of Judah. And so as they do that, those ten northern tribes are saying, we don't want anything to do with David, we don't want anything to do with the house of David, we are the people of God. It's kind of like when a uh, you go to a, a town uh, where there's a First Baptist Church. If there's ever been a split, there's probably an Emmanuel Baptist Church. Do you remember what Emmanuel means in the Bible? God with us. So why do they name themselves Emmanuel Baptist Church? They split off a of First Baptist and go over here and they say, God is with us. Yeah, that's the idea. Well, the same thing is true when the northern tribes called themselves Israel. They were saying, God is with us. We are the true sons of Abraham. And yet they lived a life that was so far from that that it wasn't even uh, uh, taken seriously by anybody. 
And they were so wicked, and all of their kings, all of them in the northern kingdom, all of them were wicked kings, and all of the people followed suit. They worshiped false gods, they bowed before idols, they sacrificed their children to uh, false gods, all of those kind of reprehensible things, a lot of sexual immorality and sexual cults that were founded uh, that were in the northern uh, kingdom of Israel, and nobody thought anything about it. They still would say, we're Jews, and oh yeah, we, we still believe in God and all of that, but they really were occupied with everything but God, and God was just simply an add-on to their life. Well, finally, God had enough of that, and he brought the Assyrians in to invade them, and the Assyrians took most of the people of those ten tribes, took them captive, and exiled them into various places, and uh, they were never heard of again. Those are the lost tribes, <coughs> pardon me, of the nation of Israel. And uh, so the Jews that did remain in that northern kingdom, they're there, just a small, small, insignificant population. And the king of Assyria brought people in from all of the nations around them and populated that northern kingdom with all of these pagans. They bring their gods and they resume the idolatry there. And that remnant of Jews intermarried with them. And you can imagine when later in 586 B.C. the southern kingdom is taken away to Babylon for 70 years. When they come back, the first thing they start to do is to rebuild the temple. Remember about Zerubbabel and he was an ancestor of Christ. And all of that that is happening. But those people that were in the northern kingdom just became more and more pagan. Less and less and less Jewish. And it was disgusting to the Jews. It was disgusting to those people that returned and rebuilt the temple. And they didn't even consider that area of Samaria just north of them as even being Jewish at all. They wanted nothing to do with them. And to be fair, the Samaritans felt the same way about the Jews. The Samaritans even built their own place of worship instead of going to Jerusalem as they'd been commanded. And so they lived their lives completely separately, somewhat alike but vastly different at the same time. And so these Jews in the days of Jesus, it's been hundreds of years uh, since all of that took place, they wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans, didn't consider them to be Jewish, and the Samaritans didn't really want anything to do with them either. So Jesus is in Samaria. That's a kind of a strange thing to happen anyway. I'm sure it probably did happen from time to time, but it wasn't the norm. Normally they went around Samaria if they were coming from Galilee or from Judea heading north. They would go around it, and Jesus didn't. And so he crosses that divide, kind of steps on that territory that was considered to be unclean, and he asks a Samaritan woman for a drink, and the fact that that Samaritan woman was considered unclean by the Jews, even that water vessel she would use to draw water out would be considered unclean. And a self-respecting Jew would never even speak to a Samaritan, much less a Samaritan woman, and he would never ask for water that would come out of her unclean vessel. And Jesus has broken all of those things and has shattered all of those things and his disciples are gone into town, maybe stopping by Subway to get a sandwich for him. And uh, they come back and they are absolutely shocked at what they see. So let's read about this and uh, let's go to the fourth chapter of the book of John. And uh, we pick up here and the woman comes to kind of an astounding understanding here. Uh, for her, this is a big leap, a big step. In verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now, why did she come to that conclusion? Just before this, that's when her sin, her immorality, had been exposed. How did Jesus know about that? Well, he must be, she surmised, some kind of a prophet. Uh, the Hebrew word for that would be a, a seer. He could see things that nobody else could see and see into things that nobody else could understand. And so that's what she thinks he is. 
Well, in a sense, he was that. Jesus was a prophet, a priest, and a king, but so much more than just simply a a psychic or a seer. Maybe that's what she meant. Maybe she meant more than that. I don't really know for sure. But she uses that word, a prophet. Now, she jumps right in in verse 20 to a dispute between the Jews and the Samaritans. Our fathers, our ancestors, worshipped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim, And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of or through the Jews. In fact, all of the Bible, with very few exceptions, is written by Jewish people, right? Verse 23. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, Well, I know that Messiah is coming, and John adds in here for uh, his Gentile readers, who is called Christ, and when he comes, he will tell us all things. Now, the most shocking thing in this story for her takes place right now in verse 26. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? They just kept it to themselves. And the woman then left her water pot. That, after all, was the whole reason she was there, but it didn't matter anymore. And she went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see him who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And then they went out of the city and they came to him. In the meantime, his disciples urged him saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat in which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? And Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Complete it. Do not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. And, the, and he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored And you have entered into their labors. Listen to what they are talking about here as Jesus goes from the woman and her different questions and her situation and what happens down here at the very end. Listen to what is really being said because it's not just about a woman getting a drink. It's not just about the disciples bringing food. It's not just about somebody getting saved. There is much more to all of this, and it is relevant for us today, even though we may never sit by a well, even though we may never go to Samaria, even though we may never meet up with a woman who has this kind of a past, even though that doesn't happen, it still has implications for all of us, because so many times we start talking to people, and we may bring up a few things that are kind of nice and and maybe significant, 
significant, but we don't get all the way through, and yet we start saying that we have witnessed. I've listened to people all of my life and all of my ministry that talk about I witnessed to somebody, and what they did was they invited them to church. Good. I'm glad you invite people to church, but that's not a witness. Sometimes it boils down to, well, I want to witness to this person. Will you talk to them? I've been asked that a thousand times or more. I want to talk what this person to be saved. I want to witness to them. Would you talk to them? But they never actually get around to doing it for whatever the reason may be. Maybe they don't feel qualified. Maybe they don't feel like they know enough. Or maybe they're afraid to mention it. Maybe they're afraid that if I talk to them, they can just say, well, that's just that goofy preacher, but that's not what I think or believe. I hope it's not that, but you never know about those situations. And so we want to uh, come down to this and we want to really listen to what is being said, to listen to what John is telling us. And I think that in this we find when we look at the way the Lord Jesus dealt with this woman and we said last week that we run into people like this everywhere we go, what is it that Jesus did that maybe we are not quite doing and we're not really understanding? And so the First thing that I would say to you is, since we're talking about listening, number one, listen to what they are really saying. You know, so many times when we witness, we do all the talking. So many times when we are concerned about somebody, we think, I've got a message, I've got to come, and I've got to tell you, now you be quiet while I do all of the speaking. And uh, people sometimes are kind of put off by all of that. You sound like a know-it-all. You sound like you're smarter than they are. You come across with the unspoken message of, you be quiet because you're stupid. Let me, the smart person, tell you what you need to know. That's kind of off-putting, isn't it? You don't appreciate anybody who does that with you uh, to you about anything at all. And so when we are talking to lost people, we need to be kind and we need to be respectful. We need to be truthful, of course, and we want to get the whole message across. But sometimes we need to do a little bit more listening. The Bible says we are to be uh, swift to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. And sometimes we forget that first thing, swift to hear. People are talking, people have ideas, and they are wrong, and they are errant, and sometimes we're answering questions that they're not really asking, and so we need to listen to what they are really saying. Now, this woman has just been shown to be immoral, and she is amazed that Jesus knows anything about that, and so what does she go into? So the woman says, well, I perceive that you're a prophet, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is a place where we ought to worship. Okay, What was she doing? Was she saying here, let's have a debate over where the real temple is. Was she saying, let's have a dispute over what you think and what I think. Let's have an argument, and we'll find out who actually is right. I think that kind of misses the point. I think what the woman is saying is, in light of my sin, in light of my immorality, and in light of who you are, I'm feeling some conviction. I'm feeling some pressure. So, hey, where do I go for atonement? Where do I go to offer a sacrifice? Where do I go to get relief? Where do I go to get peace from all of this because she's torn up? She's alone. Evidently, the other women don't want anything to do with her. In fact, even when she goes back to testify of Christ, she goes to the men. She got plenty of attention from the men, not so much from the women. I think she's carrying an awful lot of guilt in all of this. And I think the question about Jerusalem or Gerizim is not so much about who's right. I think it's about this. Where do I go to find relief? Where do I go to find atonement? Where do I go? Do I go to Jerusalem? Is that going to make all of this right? It messes me up with all of my fellow people in Samaria, and I would never be accepted in the temple in Jerusalem. Or do I go where I would be accepted, where I do understand things, and make a sacrifice and an offering here at Mount Gerizim? I think what she is really saying is, how do I get free? How do I unload all of this burden? How do I get things right with God? How do I get my life straightened out? Now, you know, a lot of times 
We're telling people what they need to do, and they've got some things that they initially want to know from us, but we haven't taken the time to really get to know them, to really understand them. We haven't really listened to what they're talking about. And again, if we are answering questions and pushing them in ways where the Spirit is not leading them and conviction is not following them, then uh, sometimes... We wonder why we are not able to quite get through with all of this and follow through to the point of getting to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think you would be surprised how many people, they're lost, they're dead in trespasses and sins, and they love their sin to a certain extent. But there are some sins that they cannot get over. Maybe it's cost them a relationship with their child. Maybe it's cost them a relationship with someone that they really love. Maybe they're estranged from their parents. Maybe it's something that happened in church or something like that a long time ago. And we don't really hear where the cry of their heart is. And so she's asking, where do I go to get cleansing? Where do I go to get things right with God? Mount Gerizim or the Jewish temple? What is going to help? And a lot of people are looking for something and they're looking for someone to help them and they always fall short of the one. I mean, here she is in the presence of the Son of God, the one who has authority on earth to forgive sins and she's asking about which place of worship do I go to when she has Jesus right there. It went right over her head. And so Jesus didn't correct her or do anything like that. But he did point something out. He said, if you knew and if you understood who was really here and what the plan of God really is, you wouldn't be asking that question. You wouldn't be looking for a place. You'd be looking for a person. Point number two. It's not simply about, and I've got it in quotes, where you go to church. This is kind of the question that she's uh, asking like, what denomination do I go to, the Jewish or the Samaritan? What location do I go to a church, one that's farther away or one that's local? And, and you could add all kinds of things into all of this. And it's interesting that Jesus, he says to her, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Can I say, that's the way it is today? You cannot find a temple on Mount Gerizim. And you cannot find a temple even on Temple Mount and Temple Square in Jerusalem today. There's a mosque there. There's a Muslim place of worship. And there is the Wailing Wall, of course. But there's no temple there. They don't offer sacrifices there. And Jesus is making a prophecy that the true relationship with God is not going to be found in animal sacrifices. It's not going to be found in the ritual prayers or in the feasts or anything like that. The time is coming when it won't be in either place. And I think so many times people try to put their faith in something that is inadequate, something that is temporary, something that is insufficient for what they really need. And so they say, well, I'll just find a church I'll go to. I'll find one that I like, which is a major problem. I'll find one that meets my needs, another major problem. People don't go seeking the Lord and seeking to worship and seeking to honor the Lord unless... They are driven to do so by the Scripture and, of course, by the Spirit of God. But this is not going to happen, Jesus says. There's coming a time when both of those places are going to be uh, somewhat insignificant for your particular worship. And he says in verse 22, You worship what you do not know, and we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The Samaritans in their deconstructed Judaism, had not only started worshiping pagan gods with a little bit of, of the true God mixed in, it wasn't uh, wholeheartedly just as a good luck charm, just in case God might get mad at us again, let's go ahead and do a little bit of uh, pay homage to him to some degree. Well, the Samaritans also were somewhat liberal. Did you know out of the Old Testament, they only accepted Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which means they had none of the words of the prophets. They had none of the worship of the Psalms 
or its prophecies. Psalms has a lot of prophecies and a lot of word for them. They didn't accept anything but the first five books of the Bible. And so Jesus is saying, look, the prophecies about the Messiah, everything that we are talking about here and what really brings salvation is found through the Jewish scriptures, through the Hebrew scriptures, through the writings of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, but also through the prophets and through the Psalms all the way through. And if you knew that, you would know what you were worshiping. You would know what God demands. You would know what the plan of God is. Well, the same could be said of the Jews because they had all of that and they still didn't get it and they still misinterpreted it. And so when he says you worship what you don't know, he's pointing to the fact that they don't accept all of the Word of God and all of the Scriptures, which is the same problem today. You can go to any number of churches in our own city that they may open up a Bible and they may read from it, but they don't believe it. And they think that it's a myth. They think that it is somehow interpreted a different way and they, don't, they are not Bible-believing Christians. And he says, but the hour is coming and, and now is. Why? Because the Messiah is here when the true worshipers will worship instead of in a place and with rituals they will worship in spirit and in truth for the father is actually seeking such to worship him do you know it's possible to attend a church service this morning like this and not worship god are you worshiping in spirit is it coming from your heart and are you worshiping in truth according to the word of god or are you just putting in your time saying get this over with so i can get home and get on with my day and check this box off that i've attended worship you may not be attending worship right now you can be a million miles away from everything that god is saying and that god is doing even at this particular time and by the way he knows that and so you're not a worshiper until you worship Worship in spirit and in truth. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And so, uh, again, I'm always grateful when you invite people to church, but that's not really the issue. It's not really an issue of whether you're a Baptist or a Methodist or whatever you may be. There may be some denominations that are better than others and closer to the truth, but even in that, there are people who said in Bible-believing churches every single week that are on their way to hell. And they will populate hell because they really are not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. So it's more than just inviting them to church. It's more than just attending church as we ought to know. And none of that is really going to matter when you stand before the Lord. The Lord's not going to ask you, what church should you go to? Who is your pastor? What is your doctrinal statement? Where does your theology line up? It's going to be, have you ever been born again? Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? And so uh, now, what is different about this is now we don't go to a temple. In fact, Paul said that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Did you know that this room is not a sanctuary? Your body is a sanctuary. That is where God dwells. That's where your worship takes place. That's where your submission to God takes place. It's from the heart. It is God indwelling us. And we recognize that and we follow him, we submit to him, we love him. And through that we learn the word of God and we learn the truth, not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. We have a new spiritual life, we have a spiritual appetite, we have a hunger for the things of God, we have a new relationship with God himself and also with the people of God, that's why we call each other brother and sister from time to time. And we can worship literally anytime, any place, anywhere, in any situation. You know, sometimes we sing songs about we've gathered here on holy ground. This is not holy ground. You know what holy ground is? That's you. 
That's where you live because God is always with you and he's not more with you at church and less with you at work. He's always with you and it is always the same. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. That's why you can pray in school. That's why you can pray at work. That's why you can pray in your car going to work or coming from work. That's why you can pray in your living room. That's why you can pray in any situation, as Paul said, pray without ceasing. That's only possible because you are sacred. You have been made holy by Christ. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. As we saw in our Sunday school lesson, that even the prophecy of Jesus coming, it says, the Lord, our righteousness. And that's what the truth is today. You are not righteous because of what you do or what you don't do. You are righteous because the Lord is your righteousness and you are always on holy ground and you can pray and worship at any particular time. Now, why do we come to church? That's the command of God so we can Minister to each other, pray for each other, so that we can learn deeper things in the Word of God, be challenged and fed and strengthened as we gather together. But the worship that you have takes place in your heart, or it doesn't take place at all. So the holy ground is just different. Now, it's all by grace and not by performance, of course. So Jesus is taking her all the way through this, And he's getting ready to come to a climax, which is point number three. And this is a point that I've heard so many people when they witness to someone, they never quite get to this point. Number three, Jesus is the real issue. And so the woman with all of the things she's talking about and questions about and all of her lifestyle and background and good and bad and all of that, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And then Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Notice there's an I am in there, just like Moses heard from the burning bush. Now, think about all the questions and all the thoughts she had. She had questions about You know, social boundaries. Why are you a Jew speaking to me, a Samaritan? Why are you a man speaking to me, a woman? All kinds of things like that. She had questions about drawing water. How are you going to draw living water out? You don't even have a water pot. Are you greater than our father Jacob? All of those kind of things that uh, came up. And there she is in the presence of God himself, in the presence of the creator, in the presence of the author of scripture. All of this is found in Jesus. And so she has these different thoughts about worship and what she believed. And she did at least believe in a Messiah who is coming. And she believed in a future where everything would be settled. Arguments would be settled. But none of that could bring peace with God. Because she's still distant. She's still dead in trespasses and sins. And she can't figure out who Jesus is. Jesus has to reveal himself to her. Now, remember when you're witnessing, I used to be uh, trained in witnessing where they would tell us that when you get to this point, now you've got to draw the net in, draw the net in. You know what that's a, a modern translation of that would be? You got to make the sale. You got to drive it home. You got to make sure that you bring them in and you can't let them get away. You got to hook the fish, some people say. You know what I found out when I read through the word of God? That is not my job. That is not my job. That's not your job. Our job is not to convince people that they need to be saved. Our job is to present the truth of the gospel. And it's the Holy Spirit's job who will draw them in. It's the Holy Spirit's God job who will draw them to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the beauty about all of this. And Jesus will reveal himself through your witness And through the Holy Spirit, just as he did to this woman. This woman is so close and yet so far away, isn't she? She is kind of in the ballpark, but yet at the same time, she's missing it by a mile. Until this one thing happens. What changes everything? Jesus himself says to her, I who speak to you am he. Boom! 
That was it. That's what had to happen. Nothing else really mattered. All of the discourse before then was useless if it didn't get to this point. And kind of like we can talk to lost people about everything in the world, politics, morality, the weather, football, all of those kind of things. But until we get to Jesus, that's where it really divides. I told you before about the Muslim man that was visiting our church in uh, First Baptist Church of Chelsea, Oklahoma. And he would come because his wife, we baptized his wife and his son. And so he got interested as to what we were doing and why their life had changed so much. And he started coming to church. And every Sunday after I would get through, he would come down to where I was standing at the front. And he would say, that is very much like what we believe. And then he would talk about the uh, common things between Christianity, the Bible, and the Quran. And, uh, you know, we would talk about some things and say, yeah, that, that, that's very true. No, that's not exactly right. We would, might go through a few things like that. And uh, points of agreement, points of disagreement, that type of thing. And uh, there was one particular Sunday, I remember, where he came down. And he said, what you preach today is much like the Quran." And I said, AJ, with one big difference. And he goes, what's that? And I said, is Jesus God? And he said... No! And he never spoke to me again. That was the issue. That was the dividing line. It's not, do we believe that God is a spirit? It's not, do we believe that there's only one God? It's not, do we have a sacred book like you have a sacred book? It's not, do we believe in a certain morality like you believe in a certain morality or anything like that at all? It comes down to this one thing. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? That's what every one of you in here today, you've got to deal with that fact. If he's just simply a Bible story, just simply a Sunday school lesson, just simply something that your parents or your grandparents talked about, you're going to die and spend eternity in hell. But if he is God, and if he is the only way to redemption, if his death and his death alone paid for sin, and there's no other way to pay for sin... If he rose from the dead, if he is seated at the right hand of God the Father, then you've got a problem. And you've got a big problem until you understand and accept and believe who he is. And there are tons of people that will talk about somebody named Jesus, but he doesn't match up with the Jesus of the Bible. He's not the real Jesus. There are tons of people that at Christmas time, they will agree that we ought to be religious at Christmas, that you can only have so much Santa and his elves and all of that. You need a little bit of religion just to kind of put things into perspective, but they come to worship a Jesus of their own making, a Jesus that they don't really know, and to sing songs about a Savior that in their mind doesn't exist. And that's why we've got to tell them the truth, because it all boils down to this. It's all about Jesus. We can have everything else in common in the world, and they can look like us. They can even look better than we do, more disciplined and more committed than we are. But if they haven't come to the point of accepting Christ for who He is and worshiping Him and submitting to Him and trusting Him by grace alone, through faith alone, that Christ alone paid the penalty for sin on the cross, that he rose from the dead, that he is exalted and is the sovereign Lord of all, then it falls short. It's close, but no cigar, as we might say. Now notice Jesus brings her from this point of talking about all of these things that they were talking about. Some questions he answered. Some of them he didn't really dignify. He didn't really answer. He was bringing her to this particular place. This is no accident that he said, The one speaking to you, I am he. And she is so overwhelmed by all of that that she came to water in the heat of the day and she doesn't even get her water. She doesn't even take her water pot. She takes off and there she goes because she needed forgiveness of her sins and there's only one place you can go for the forgiveness of sins. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. She needed a Savior in Jesus and He revealed Himself 
to her. Number four, sadly, God's people are easily distracted from seeing people saved. How, how often has it come up in your life this week about witnessing? How often has it come up this week in your life that you pray for somebody who's lost? How much time have you invested into that? Jesus told us that we are to pray for the lost and we're to pray for laborers in the harvest. That would be missionaries, pastors. That would be uh, normal, everyday people. It, uh, everybody who's a Christian is involved in the harvest. Has that entered your mind or anything? Well, something was on your mind besides the plan and purpose of God. Something was on your mind besides being an ambassador for Christ. Something was on your mind besides the salvation of souls. Do you get excited to think about people getting saved? Do you get excited to think about people understanding the truth of the gospel? Do you get excited about planting seeds, watering seeds, and you might even get involved in a harvest one of these days? But so many times we're just too busy. We're doing other things. We're distracted. Isn't it interesting that in verse 27, that at this point his disciples came and instead of going, oh, we need to pray, guys, there's something great happening here. The only thing they can think about is, why is he talking to a woman? Rabbi, you need to eat. I mean, after all, we went all the way into Subway and got this, and the drive-thru had a long line in it, and it's kind of expensive, and now you're, you're not even acting like you're interested in our sandwiches. Excuse me, ma'am, we've got food. Isn't that interesting? So they have all these questions, and they're all on the inside, but it's obvious they are completely out of step with the Savior. These disciples, completely out of step with the Savior. And if we're not interested in evangelism and witnessing and obeying the command of, of God to evangelize, we are too. And so you notice that they come along and they say uh, about him while this woman is going saying, Come and see the man who told me everything I've ever done. Could he be the Christ? While the pagan is doing that, the disciples are going, Come on and eat. And Jesus said, Not hungry. I've got food that you don't know anything about. And you notice that next thing that the disciples said, it's kind of said with an edge. Who brought him something to eat? After we went out there, are you kidding me? You know, folks, I'm afraid that sometimes when it comes to church, we get much more excited about being involved in the fellowship than we do in the real work of the church. Oh, we'll help bring food. We'll help set up chairs. We'll take down chairs. And I'm glad you do. And I'm glad you like being together. And I'm glad you like doing that kind of stuff. That's a great blessing. But that's not really why we're here. That's not really the main purpose. If you're going to serve the Lord, you need to be sharing Jesus Christ with people like this woman who are lost, who may be religious, who may have some religious ideas. Most everybody does. They're usually wrong. But the issue is... What do you do with Jesus Christ? And what are you doing to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ? Because this is really, really important. This is what uh, is really supposed to be happening. And yet we're concerned about food. We're concerned about uh, our um, errands. We're cons consumed with everything else that's going on. In fact, we get distracted by Think about this, verse 27, what shocks us, the disciples, they couldn't even catch up with what Jesus is doing because I can't believe he's talking to that woman. And there are going to be some things you see out in the world that shock you. Don't let them shock you. Be laser focused upon Christ. Some people are distracted because uh, sandwiches seem to be more important than salvation. And sometimes it's because we're caught up in what we don't know and afraid we can't answer the question instead of talking about what we do know. I don't really know the answer to that. I'll try to find out. But you know, the main thing is Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Have you trusted him as Savior and Lord? And we uh, sometimes get stuck in our own personal agenda. I would witness, but I've got errands to run. I would witness, but I've done this and this and this. That ought to be enough. And how come the Lord doesn't seem to be blessed by the sandwiches that I brought him? He's not even interested. He's not even eating them. You think maybe that may be the way 
The Lord is looking at the way you spent your life this next week. Lord, why aren't you interested in all of this? And Jesus would say, I've come to do the will of my Father. You should be doing that same thing as well. So I want to ask you to consider the fact, we won't go any further with this, but when you get down to uh, verse 34, why does Jesus go from talking to this woman and her excitement and exuberance to go tell everybody about him, why does he go from that to his disciples and telling the disciples there's a harvest? Get involved in the harvest. It's not four months away. It's now. They are ready to be harvested now. And I think it's because the disciples were so much like us. We're so busy, we can't see the forest for the trees. We're so busy with our own agenda, we cannot see the harvest that is waiting for us out here. And that just simply says, we don't think near as much about Jesus as we want people to think. We're not nearly as committed and submitted to him as we want people to think. What are your priorities and is it the priority of Jesus? So think about that as you go through this Christmas season. This is a wonderful time to talk to people about Jesus because most of the people in our culture at least are somewhat aware of Jesus. It's a different Jesus. It's not the Jesus of the Bible. And they don't understand the purpose for Jesus being born in a manger. And that's why you are here. You're the ambassador to tell them about the good news of Christ. Not only who He is, but why He came. And He came for sinners like us. Let's think about this. Jesus bridged the gap coming to us. Now, as we interact with other people, let's make sure that we bridge the gap as well. What they think, what they believe, where they really are, and what they truly need. And that always comes down to this. They need Jesus. Can anybody say amen to that? And this is our opportunity to tell them about Jesus. Okay? Pray with me. Lord, we are sinning and falling short of the glory of God, even many times in the way we witness. Because we fall short, we get involved in all of the trappings around it, but we never get to the real point. We never get to the main issue. Help us not to be ashamed of Christ. Help us to be bold. Help us to be intentional. Help us to just be so overwhelmed with love for you that we can't help, like the apostles, we can't help but speak of the things we have seen and heard. Please, Lord. And we pray we would do this and you would open up doors for us and we pray, Father, that we would be found faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.